Hello, and welcome to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson. My mission is to find everyday people who are delightful. The people I interview have attractive energy and a positive outlook on life. And I want to give them a platform to share their stories so that others can have hope in the midst of their struggles and see delight in a world that at times can seem gloomy. I will uncover the life experiences of the guests that I interview, which have enabled them to look at life in such an inspiring and delightful way, with the belief that to understand the light, one has to be acquainted with the dark. My guests will share their personal experiences on finding their way through dark and hopeless times and give us a glimpse into the powerful gifts they received in their darkest hours to rise up, take up hope, and view life through new, hope-filled eyes. Is it possible that in our darkest hours, we are given a gift to find the light which leads to our greatest delights? All right, I am super excited today because today is the day that I get to interview Michael Thomas Gregson, MTG, Woo! Mount yeah. Gregson, a.k.a. The Experience. Did you call me Mount Gregson? M.T. Gregson. Yeah. Man, that's Mount yeah. Gregson. Hey. That's what I call you in my head. I'm the, I'm the massive Mount of Rebound. <laughs> you know it. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> we'll go with that. I am, I've been looking forward to this uh, for quite some time. Um, Mike, you are... Uh, you, you have been the shining example to me in my life of someone who struggled and struggled and struggled and you knew that you had big changes that you needed to make and you found a way to make those changes. And it, this hasn't been, it wasn't one event. Uh, it's, it's nice sometimes to think that it is. But this has been a, a process for you over a, a number of years, and you have turned yourself into about the most delightful person that I know. Well, <laughs> I don't know about that. Is no, that I'm I, serious. When I eat a lot of sugar, I guess I, I can get that. <laughs> no, way, I, but... I mean that. Thanks, and, man. And, and what I want to do today um, is I want to get to what were those changes that had to be made for you? Yeah what was the impetus for those changes? Like, was it, you know, I want to, I want to explore that a little bit. Sure. And then how has that felt? What was it like when you were in the thick of it and, and really struggling? And then what does it feel like now to kind of be on the other side? And yeah. then maybe what's next for you, you know, yeah. not cause you're not done. Uh, Mike is not a finished product. And, and so, you know, kind of getting into what's next, yeah. how do we keep pushing forward? It's great that you got in that dark space and really came to a, a really bright, brilliant person, but where do you, where, how do we take that and keep going in sure. life, you know, instead of just stopping and relaxing? Sure. So, you know, um, first of all, thanks. Yeah. I, you know, to, to hear that from you, uh, I love you and respect you so much. And to hear that from you, I mean, it's not just, I appreciate that. It means a lot to me. I, it means a lot to me. Um, you know, I, I think Dan to, I'm, I'm going to give a little bit of kind of my feelings that I hope to share towards the end, a little bit of that a taste of that mm -hmm. at the beginning. Okay. Um, all I want to do is lift people up. Where does that come from? Has that always been the case? That's no, I mean, that's, 
that's all like I, I think about my life and I'm like, I'm, I'm 39 years old. <clears throat> Dang, you're old. <laughs> right. You see my white on my face. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm still trying to make it in the NBA. It's not, it's probably, you know, I'm, I'm starting to feel like that door is closing for me a little bit. Vince so Carter, s- Vince Carter, <laughs> just yeah, barely retired. You've still got a year. I know. So I, I, but in, in, I really seriously, like I step back and I look at my life and I'm like, okay, is what I'm doing enough? And, and I think everybody mm-hmm. does this We're you know, for we're sure. all guilty of like, Hey, you know, even if we're doing great things, you know, I, I love my career. I love what I do for Marriott and mm-hmm. it's a company about service, you know? And that to me is like, we're going to talk a lot about that and how it helped me come out of my dark times Good. today. But, um, I just want, I, I want to, I want to help people. Um, I want to help people that are in the dark and I've seen many that are there. I've been there myself, you know, as we all have. Does but, some of that come from how you were helped yourself out of your own dark? Yeah. Like, you, like the people that maybe loved and supported you and you kind of want to give back like that? Yeah. Or? You know, that's part of it. That uh-huh. absolutely is part of it. But, but I, here's it's, what's interesting about that mm-hmm. though. Um, is I hope I can give some insight to what we can do to be more effective with people that are in that dark moment. Nice. Right. So, yeah. because when I was there, this, I'm the first person in my family who really struggled, yeah. like made bad, bad decisions. And, you know, coming from a family where it's, it's a very good family, very religious family, very structured family, mm-hmm. uh, father working every day, mother in the home, Mm -hmm. In fact, our mom did work, but she did piano lessons out of the home and just, we were raised right. You know, we were given all the opportunity in life that we could have that anybody, anybody would look at and feel like, God, that those kids had plenty of opportunities in their lives. Like that's a great, a great way to start your life and and whatever. Um, And so, and so when I, when I really started making bad choices in my life and going down this path, it was, it was very different than what my, my parents had ever seen before mm-hmm. and my family. And I would even go as far as to not, not all of my extended family there, you know, there were other people that had made mistakes, whatever. Um, and had their own journeys, if you will. But mm-hmm. like, yeah, within our, our little family unit of grandparents living in holiday, Utah, like I kind of threw everybody for a, you know, I, I, I threw everybody for a, a crazy, crazy loop, if you will, you know, like trying to figure out what the heck do we do? How do we help him? What's going on? And so, and so in, in our conversation today, I really hope that I can give some insight to, you know, any parent who's got a kid struggling with addiction mm-hmm. or with, um, just, shutting down or maybe know? like even what seemed to be behavioral problems. Totally. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have any of those. What are you talking <laughs> about? Yeah, no, plenty. Um, I don't say that because yeah. I saw that myself. You know, that's yeah, just a guess. Right? Uh, yeah. It's a good guess. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's kind of dig into yeah. that. Maybe some of that initial early yeah. stuff that you started yeah. going through, you know, maybe some of your childhood stuff. So I, I, this is, this is where it's hard to like start. I don't, I don't want to mm-hmm. just go into story mode. So I, I hope that we can, you know, help me. Help yeah, me I will. Cause I, you know, me, I, I, I used to do firesides and stuff for youth and, and I, I kind of am really good at telling stories and I don't want you to get lost on that track. But, um, you know, I, we moved around a lot when we were kids. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't really come to a place where we had like a structured, 
life until we were probably, till I was in about what, the fourth grade? About you were that. in the fifth yep. grade, right? Mm-hmm. We, we moved back from Minnesota to Utah um, because my dad was moved around a lot for his work. He was working for his father who was in the oil industry. And he was going around opening up gas stations. And, and so with a lot of our early life, me, you, and, and our younger sister, Melissa, um, mm-hmm. before the rest of the girls came, we have six kids in our family, um, we moved around a lot. And, and so it was very um, transitional, if you will. I, I, we, 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 were, we got really good at like going to new places, making For new sure. friends. Mm-hmm kicking everyone's butt and kickball because man we did we could play some kickball we could kick dodge that ball. ball was like my game man i'll tell you what <laughs> so you how did dodge rent anyway. so so how did moving around like that what what effect did it have on you you know i think it was good uh, mm-hmm. in the long run i look at it and i'm like that was a really good thing mm-hmm. because it really taught me to like be uncomfortable and be okay with that yeah which I say is a good thing. Maybe it wasn't such a good thing in certain points of my life because I've never been one to shy away from anything. You really haven't. I, I think that's actually one of yeah. your strengths now. Yeah. And I think initially when you were a kid, that was kind of scary as yeah. I think it is, as an adult to look at and be like, he's really not afraid of anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I've done that with my kids, right? Yeah. We just got back from a, a stint in Arizona with Marriott and then I went um, to Colorado for a while and, and, my oldest daughter's eight years old. And so she's, well, from kindergarten to now what second going into the third grade, she's, she's been in three, four different schools already. Yeah. So I look at that and I'm like, Oh shoot, you know, am I giving her the foundation she needs? And it's like, you know, sometimes uncomfort, um, being uncomfortable allows us to grow and yeah. allows us to really find ourselves in what we like and what we like to do. It, it, it's hard. It's challenging. I, I think Dan, I, and I think you would agree with me here. It's hard because you go and you make friends and mm-hmm. then you leave friends. And and when you don't have friends for a long period of time, it's hard to really get like deep, deep yeah, friendships. For sure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if I look back at my childhood, I can't really remember too many of my friends' names. I think there was a Neil somewhere in there. <laughs> you know, like, hey, like I just, I don't, I don't, I, I, rem- I kind of remember, I have glimpses. I remember one guy had a horse in Wisconsin. Nathan. Was like, yeah, Nathan. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. I, I know Nathan now. No, but, but I just like maybe... Maybe that was what was tough was just not keeping those, those friends for very long. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, the lessons that it gave me in life, I think have been really big blessings because I, I, again, I'm not afraid of anybody. I I love to go up to meet new people all the time. In fact, my wife and I talk about this a lot and I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. So I'll kind of digress in just a second, but um, Alicia's really good at making like deep lasting friendships. Mm-hmm. She's, she's more selective in her friendships, right? She's, she uses her time wisely. Mm-hmm. Whereas me, I'm like, God, oh, I want to meet everyone. Right. I want to know everyone, everything about everybody. But yet maybe I, I maybe I'm not going to see them a ton down the road, but I connected with them. Like mm-hmm. that's important to me is I love to connect with people. I love to get to know people and, and I think, I think my childhood kind of helped me really develop that part. And of it. so, so this desire to connect, I could see how that could, uh, not be a thing that t- maybe teachers like very much. No. Right. So you're, you're, you've got all these new That's classmates really every year, right? Yep. You want to get to know all of them. Yeah. So you, you talk so what you're leading whatever, into right? is Mike really struggled in school. Yes, Dan. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mike to. struggled a lot. <laughs> now that's, that's a really good, um, that's a good catch. Cause I, I've never really actually put that together. So really good thought there. 
Uh, and yeah, I mean, in all reality, struggle was, or school was a struggle for me and mm-hmm. it was hard and I, I did fine. I mean, grade school, it, it wasn't it was. a, it wasn't a smarts thing. It was an engagement well, thing, I right? Know, I, no, I, you're, a, <laughs> you're a smart you. kid. I'll you always that were. As a compliment. Um, to me, it was, it's, it was more like you, you preferred the social engagement. Yes. And, and maybe not so much the engagement with the teacher. Yes. Yeah. And well, and okay. But if the teacher would have engaged with me, uh, but, but when you're in a classroom with 30 kids and it's hard, yeah. And you've got kids that really want to engage with that subject. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm, I'm, you know, like I liked PE. I was, I excelled in PE. I was great. I liked science every once in a while, uh-huh. history every once in a while, math. I hated, right. Um, who puts an X and Y in, the, in mathematic problems? Like that's the dumbest crap I've ever heard in my life. I'm going to figure out who did that and rewrite the, the history books and get that out of there. Anyway, um, but, but I think you're, you're very wise in, in pulling that out because when I was young, mm-hmm. um, in grade school, I did just fine. When I got to about the sixth grade, um, I got a couple bad grades and it was cause I missed school for a while, but I, I tried to take the test and I remember for the first time in my life sitting there reading questions going, I don't really understand these. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I, I just, it didn't really click. Right. Mm-hmm. So in junior high did fine. Um, got good grades you know, I, 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 what, I wasn't on the honor roll by any means, but I was right up there. I, I was doing very well. And basketball was a huge part of my life in junior high. You know, I was, I, made the team as an eighth grader playing with the ninth graders. And then by the time I got to my ninth grade year, I was one of the better players on the team and, and kind of had a spot on the high school team. And yeah, I mean, you were on your way to Michael Jordan number two, right? Amen, man. I had the tongue wagging and everything. (laughs) And you know what? At one point in my life, I'd like to say I had some hops. So anyway, (laughs) um, no, I, you know, in, in junior high though, Mm -hmm. um, I started to recognize that I just, I struggled in school. Like it it seemed like as I was sitting in my classes that every, every other kid got excited about learning and was able to answer the questions the teacher was asking. And I, I remember sitting there in my class going, I feel like I'm different than most of these kids. Like, I don't, I don't want to be here. This is not, I'm not having a good time. Now, from my perspective at this time, this this seemed to be when you kind of became a little more angry as yeah. a person. Like you 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 just got set off very easily, and and you kind of closed in a little yeah. bit. And you know, you had some a really good close group of friends, and you were good with them. But you kind of you know you you didn't want to expand outside of that. Talk a little bit about what that was like for you? Like what, what was that change? How come, like, where did some of that anger come from? Was it maybe just, you know, that school wasn't going so well or, you know, what, what, what happened there? I had a hard time in school. I, it was really hard for me to get excited about it because it just didn't feed my soul. It didn't, I'm a very, I'm very much a heart guy. Um, I, you know, I, I love reading. I love books that make me think, but, but I'm a heart guy. I'm all about, I want, I want to feel when I connect with people, I want to fill them. I want to yeah. fill them out, like get a sense of their spirit, if you will. Get yeah. a spirit to spirit connection. School doesn't give you that. You mean, you mean X plus three equals seven doesn't hit your heart? <laughs> no, I mean, no, no. Two, <laughs> even two plus two is four does not hit my heart, okay. man. Okay. So no, it, 
but I, but that's that was very important to me. And, and so, of course, in junior high, mm-hmm. um, this is where I'm really starting to see um, you and as my older brother and, and some of my younger sisters really doing well in school and, and way to go. Like you guys were all so good at school. And, and I remember every parent teacher conference at <laughs> yeah, mom and dad would come home. And they would go through, they'd sit in the they'd living room with all like of us. They'd talk to like me and Melissa for like two minutes. Yeah. And it's great, great job. Yeah. Your teachers love you. You're doing awesome. And they turned to me. <laughs> and what was, what was the one thing that I would hear every time? Mike, your teachers say you have a lot, a lot of, of potential, potential right? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. potential. Yep. And, oh, that word. And, but you know, it's true. Yeah. That's a tough word, but like, that's cool. It you is. know, I appreciate that my teachers at least I, saw that. Yeah. In me, right. Yeah. And you know, and, and it was hard to hear as a kid because mm-hmm. I, I get done hearing about my brother who's doing so well and my sister who's doing so well. And, and I'm, that's awesome. I'm you guys, you guys kicked butt at mm-hmm. school and you were very good at it. And you, and, and I come from a family of readers and for some reason, I just never really got into reading. I didn't. Not then, anyway. You, no, you're now, a great I, now, now. Yeah. I love reading now, mm-hmm. and and I'm all about like, I I'm, I do like the self help stuff. I like mm-hmm. the autobiographies. I love to read about a great story, like Unbroken to me. That sucker, yeah. man. That made Such my soul book. feel so good. Mm-hmm. Except for the Birdman, I want to punch <laughs> him in the nose. But anyway, I, I I mean, just yeah, like so. I'm kind of going through this phase of like trying to find myself yeah. and I, I'm not finding myself. I'm finding myself on the basketball court. I love basketball. I'm playing on a, in junior high, mm-hmm. I'm on the school team of course. And then I'm playing on an AAU team, um, called the killer bolts that's sponsored by this guy that played in the NFL, Alfred Papunu. Um, a good friend of mine, Matt, uh, it was his uncle and he'd sponsor us and we'd play the kids older than us. And we, we were really good. You yeah, know, we you had were. some really good players on our team. And, uh, so for a few years we played kids that were older than us. And then, uh, you know, and I always did, I always did really well on the team and both teams. And I just, I felt passionate about basketball. And when I played basketball, I was with my guys, right? I was with my, my, my dudes. And, and this made me feel so good being with my friends, engaging, playing ball. And then I go sit in a classroom and I feel like I just, I'm not connecting. It's not right? the same. No. And so talk to, talk a little bit about how frustrating that felt. It was hard. Um, as I got in, as I got into about my ninth grade year, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, I've got a girlfriend, I'm playing basketball, I'm doing this, that, and the other. And, and all of a sudden you kind of start dealing with the, the inner workings of friendships mm-hmm. and, and people mm-hmm. start to say things um, behind your back. And I'm, I'm guilty of this. Right. But mm-hmm. you, you just kind of that. So those social things that you go through in junior high are a bit tough as you get a little bit older and, and you're about to go into high school. And, and I, I had some things I went through with some friends that were, that were hard and, yeah. and they, they hurt. And, um, and so, and so struggling a little bit in school, still getting good grades yeah, in junior doing, high, yeah. doing fine, but, but struggling a little bit there and then dealing with some hard things with friendships. I just started to feel I felt like I didn't, I didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't feel ah, like I was good enough. That hurts. Yeah. Like I, I remember very clearly in like my ninth grade year feeling like, I don't know if, if I'm, if people like me, like, I don't, I don't know. Like what's That's such who a am lonely I? Thing, like, man. who am I? Like what's wrong with me? Yeah. Like when you start asking questions of what's wrong with me, right. That means there's shame in your life. Right. For sure. 
And, and there wasn't really anything happening in my life that I needed to feel ashamed of mm-hmm. at that point. It, for some reason, I just was really tough on myself. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, so happy moments, sad moments, tough moments. But then, you know, we go into high school and, and that first year in high school, 10th grade in Utah, um, I find a lot of excitement in sloughing class and, and hanging out with these, these friends that, you know, like-minded friends that just wanted to go out and play and connect and all that stuff. And yeah, it was and, a lot more fun yeah. than sitting in a classroom. Right? That's I enjoyed that. Yeah. I mean, that's what I, that's what I gravitated towards. And I, I grew very interested in girls, of course. And, mm-hmm. and so I'd slough with my buddies and we'd go find the girls to hang out with. And I, I, for some reason I wasn't not smart, not the right word, but I wasn't wise enough to stop and go doing this is not going to help my grades. And my grades, if they're not good, I'm not going to make the basketball team. Well, it's it seems like everything is about the moment for yeah. you at that point, totally. right? So, like, basketball is fun, so I want to keep playing basketball. Yeah. Friends are fun, so I want to hang out with friends. But I'm not looking... But you're not looking for, like, exactly. down the line, like, where does this eventually lead me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a scripture I love in the Bible that says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Yeah. And that's, that's essentially, Dan, you nailed that's, you it. You lived it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was so in the moment. I was so worried about how to have happiness right now. Mm-hmm. I don't want to think about stuff right now. I don't, I don't want to think about all the worries of this life. I want to have happiness now. So yeah. what's going to give me that instant gratification, right? Sure. So sloughing class, going with friends that... that that's exciting. No that's pressure. Mm-hmm. Like the pressure for, for the time being until yeah. I got the report card, there was no pressure. <laughs> But I, because of that, um, I got a 1.6 my first semester, and I, I, I went to the first day of basketball tryouts. Then we got the report cards that next day. Got mm-hmm. a 1.6 and just quit. I didn't even I didn't even show up for day two of practice. I had a spot on that team. I didn't even show up for practice or for tryouts. And the next day, my basketball coach, who was my first period teacher, he came in, pointed at me, said, "Come here." took me in the hall. He talked to me and he just said, what are you doing? What are you doing? If you would have shown up to tryouts the second day and talked to me about what you, what happened, I could help you. I can help you go to your teachers and we can work something out. You can get, you can do some extracurricular things or extra credit things to get your grades up. What are you doing? And And what was your response to that? Well, I, I mean, I'd already quit. Did you, did you say anything to him or did you just listen to him? I listened to him and then I just, I kind of just, I didn't have any confidence at that point. Yeah, I just kind of said, I just kind of said, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't say. So even hey, though he was saying, he was kind of pleading with you, like I can help you. Well, he's kind of calling me out. Yeah. He wasn't necessarily sure. saying like, I can help you now, but if you would have come to me, okay. I could have helped you. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it was past tense. It, okay. In my it's brain. Over, yeah. In my, in my brain, I'm already, the door's already shut, gotcha. but no, I mean, if it, it he, like, he would have worked with yeah. you. And, and I'm, you know, I'm really good at selling these days as I get older. I'm pretty good at that stuff. <laughs> He opened the door for me. Yeah. And I didn't walk through it. Yeah. And because of that, that crushed me. Yeah. Um, I remember going home that day and just going to my room and sitting there and feeling like, what am I going to do now? So basketball was a great way for you to connect with dad. Did you ever go back home and tell him like, dad, I didn't try out for the team? Like what? No, I, uh, he knew I tried out, but okay. then he knew I got grades that weren't good enough. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I, 
I, Dan, I can't remember clearly back then if mom and dad approached me and said, how can we help you? Let's, let's try and work through this. I, I, I kind of feel like they sensed in me that there was not an opportunity to do that and that I had, I had you, given you, up. Yeah, you, the I'd, fight wasn't in I'd you. I had given up. And mm-hmm. what, what's interesting is that was my sophomore year. I didn't go to tryouts my junior or senior year because I, I just kind of quit. Like I just, I was like, whatever. Okay, I guess, I, I guess I'm done. Which is so sad. Yeah, because it is. you know, I you could go back. I, I was I was good enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was. I'm not gonna lie. I was one of the better basketball players in the school. I mean, and you so, would you would slough class yeah. to play against the basketball players during PE, <laughs> wipe the floor with them, I and mean, still not be on the team. Isn't that right? funny that I would <laughs> I would slough class. I would not leave the school property yeah. grounds. I would slough class. I'd go in the gym and I'd play basketball the entire day. Yeah. And I would kick, I would kick butt like when I play against a lot of these kids and, and the coaches, I, they were what, they watched me a lot, you mm-hmm. know, and I, and I knew, I'm sure they just shook their heads and went, what the heck is this guy doing? You know, but I'm, I was young and, and dumb and, and the problem is though, Dan, I, I don't know if, if somebody would have really come to me and engaged me and I, and I, I vaguely, I vaguely remember mom and dad trying to, yeah. But I, but I feel like it was more towards my schooling than it was towards basketball because they were so concerned about me yeah. not graduating, right? right. Um, that, but I, I remember them approaching me a few times, and I, and I just remember being like, I didn't care. Yeah. Like I was kind of to the point as a young kid where I was just like, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever, just let me be, let me be alone. And I was, I look back on that time and and. I wasn't a rude kid, but I just, I didn't want to do a lot of the things that are typical, you know, structured things for kids to do school. I didn't want to do it. Yeah. Like I didn't want to do it. And I wanted to play basketball without having to go through all the loops and the other things that everybody else has to go through. So you're struggling with grades. You're no longer on the basketball team that had pretty much been your dream. How are you feeling? Bad. I mean, I, so, so not too long after getting cut from the team, I was sloughing school so much. Mm-hmm. Um, in a, in a semester, there's about 45 days of, of school. And before I got the report card my sophomore year, I think it was the last, last term of the, the year, um, I got a point zero eight on my report card not even that's that's kind of impressive in a way i didn't even make it to (laughs) one no it was actually yeah point zero eight and i i went to class that term about 15 times Mm -hmm. and again i was still i was just at the school playing basketball yeah and um i've mentioned this to you before but the pe teacher her name was joan and i remember one day she came up to me and she's like you can't be in the gym all day long and i said joan you love me you're not going to keep what are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and of course, Dan, she, you know, there's, there's a lot of worse places I could have been. She'd rather and, have you there yeah, than yeah, and, not there. Right. And, and, and so I, I tried to, I, I loved my friends and I put mm-hmm. a lot into my friendships and, and I had some struggles with friends when I was a young kid, but because it was because I didn't feel good enough. Yeah. And, and that was my own doing, which is so hard to say. Cause when you're a kid, like when you make a mistake and, 
you get to this point when you're a kid, if you're not careful, where you get so hard on yourself mm-hmm. over one or two things that you just disengage from everything. Well, and you start believing those lies that you're telling totally. yourself about yourself, right? Totally. So here's the interesting thing is eventually you were able to turn all of this around while you're still in high school. Yeah. And I think, so here's the thing. Like if you want to talk to parents about like kids who are having struggles at this time, yep. Talk me through that. Yeah. So it's at what point did the pain of all of this that you're going through become so much greater than that school was all of a sudden the better option, yeah. you know, like engaging with school and doing a good job because you did finish strong. Yeah. I made the honor roll, uh, my senior year, mm-hmm. I think three different terms. So it's a great question. Um, so when I was younger, uh, as I, as I started struggling, I was diagnosed with ADHD, mm-hmm. um, and so I started going to counseling, you know, my parents did everything they could to help me try and figure out how to work through this thing and process this thing. And so I started going to counseling and, and I wasn't one that as a kid counseling uplifted. Um, it made me feel shame, even more. Shame, yeah. It right? made me feel yeah. a lot of shame and, and why am I not smart? What's wrong with me? And those are the thoughts I have going through my head as I'm going to school. I am, I remember getting medication, walking to school and walking past a trash can and just yeah. throwing it away. Cause I didn't want to be that guy. Um, but so as I'm going through all these things, um, it, it got so dark for me. It, it, I was so depressed. I mean, I'm not only ADHD, but I've got depression. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to counseling for depression and yeah. ADHD. Right. Mom and dad are trying to figure out what's wrong with their kid. What mm-hmm. is, is his kid going to be okay? And I, I remember being um, mom and dad driving me to school, or I used to go down with dad and work with him at Taylor's Boats, and I'd, I'd detail boats with him early on Saturday mornings, and he would try and have conversations with me, and mom would try and have conversations with me. And I remember just being like so bothered mm-hmm. that I had, that I, I just didn't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. Like, please leave me. Like, I wouldn't say that. I just ignore them. And I remember mom and dad just, especially mom being really sad by that and just yeah. frustrated. And I was depressed, no doubt about it. Depressed kid. And, um, just found my outlet in basketball and that's all I did. But, but as I was going through this period of time in my life, Broke, uh, had a girlfriend break up with me who was a cheerleader and, and had some friendship problems that I was dealing with that just, just put me in the dumps. Like mm-hmm. I was in a really bad place. And when I was in my, my early junior year, it got to the point where it was so dark that I just, I didn't want to even go to school. Like yeah. I wanted nothing to do with it. And, and I just, I kind of was looking for every outlet I could. I started drinking, mm-hmm. I started smoking pot, you mm-hmm. know, like I tried other things and tried hanging out with other people that could give me something different and new and exciting. Right. You know? Um, and, and I, I, it just, it got really difficult for me. I used to fight with mom on Saturdays, every Saturday, every about, Saturday. right. Every Saturday about mm-hmm. the dumbest things, mm-hmm. right. Cleaning my room, whatever. Yeah. I just, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't be agreeable yeah. with anybody. I couldn't like, I didn't want to be. And, and why, I, like, what, what was that going on? What was going on internally that you just so bristled at everyone that was trying to talk to you? Uh, you know, I, that's a really good question. I think there's a lot to, it, was it, I mean, is it, is it a shame thing? Yeah. Like, you know, 
that you're doing some things wrong. You don't want to be called out on it. You already know yeah. you're beating yourself up for it. You don't want to hear it from anyone else. Is yeah, that kind of what I, it is? Definitely shame, uh, mm-hmm. guilt, a little bit of guilt, yeah. but the shame hurts worse than the guilt. Does. For sure. And I think, a, I think a little bit of it had to do with the fact that my brother and my sisters and you and my sisters mm-hmm. were doing very well in all those things. Yeah. And, and I, and, and like you guys stuck with piano. My mom's a piano teacher. You guys mm-hmm. all stuck with piano and you were phenomenal piano players. You go to your recitals and get superiors. Mm-hmm. I was, that was cool. I didn't go to recitals. I got yeah. to do that stuff. Right. My thing was basketball till a certain point, and then I ruined that. So yeah. here I am, the guy that ruins stuff. I get terrible grades. Ah, that's hard. And my family's all my all the kids in my family are doing really well. And credit to you guys, like that's the way it should have been. I don't know why. I don't know why I I was different in that regard. But that's that's okay. But mm-hmm. but I just couldn't find myself, and yeah. I think that friction came down because I had to be different. Mm-hmm. Because I knew I couldn't fit that mold. Does that make sense? So it's like I, it's like I was, I, I had. It's good to, that you realize that, yeah. but that you couldn't figure out how to be you, right? You know, and, in a productive way. Exactly, and and I stayed in a dark, mm-hmm. I stayed in a dark place because I didn't really. I, there was shame yeah. for sure, but I didn't really. Maybe it made me feel good to have, like, to feel shame and just kind of feel in that dark place. Made me feel like that's where I deserve to be. Well, and it also like. I mean, it was you, you yeah. know, like you were making those decisions. You, no one else was telling you to do that. Right. It, it, it at least was yours. And so I owned it. Yeah. Right. That's that I'm making my own decisions. And even though I'm sabotaging everything, <laughs> yeah. here, here it is. And so anyway, um, there was, there was a day when I was really depressed. Um, and I, and I, I remember coming home from school, um, and I was sitting on my couch in the living room and, and you know, when, when you're depressed, um, your body language, you, you slump a lot and you, mm-hmm. you're tired and that's just kind of the way it goes. And I was sitting in the living room and I was kind of slumped over and I had my head in my hands and I was just in my brain. I'm sitting there thinking, nobody calls me. Yeah. I, I got nothing. I, I don't know who to call anymore. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm just, there's nothing go good for me. Like I'm like, it's just awful. It's nothing good for me in my life. And I just, that's the conversation I'm having with myself, um, over and over and over again. What oh. ruminating, right? Yeah. yeah. And anyway, um, dad came home from work that day. So, it was, you know, it was kind of getting early evening. Mm-hmm. He walked in the house and he, and he walked into the living room where I was sitting and he looked at me, but he didn't say anything to me. He didn't keep walking into his, like past me into his room. He mm-hmm. just turned around and he went back into the other room and he went downstairs. And, and I remember thinking, well, that's different. Dad doesn't, dad usually comes home. He walks into his room, changes, hangs out, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, that's weird. But you know, I'm sitting here going through my own stuff and I'm not really worrying about that too much, I, but I recognized it. Yeah. A few minutes later, he came up. Uh, from the basement, he walked in into the living room again, <clears throat> and I looked up at him, and he he locked on my eyes, and I'll, I'll never forget that look. And I just felt his tender love. Mm-hmm. There's no better way for me to describe it than this powerful, tender love of the look. Mm-hmm. And he and he gave me this look, and he held he had in his hand a Book of Mormon. And he, 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 he walked up to me, he put it on the coffee table in front of me and he said, son, 
I think it's time for you to read this book. That's all he said. Mm -hmm. And then he walked away and he walked into his room. And I remember sitting there for a while and, and you know, if you're not, if you're listening, you're not familiar with the familiar with the book of Mormon. It's another Testament of Jesus Christ. So it's written by prophets in the Americas where the Bible's written by prophets over in Jerusalem. And it confirms that Christ is real and that he's, he's the savior. <clears throat> and, and I grew up in a, in this home, very religious home, um, members of the church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. And so we read scriptures all the time. We said prayers all the time. And, and we had family home evenings, and we tried to be a close family, right? My, our parents did a very good job of that. Um, but I've never taken the time to read that book for myself. Yeah. I'd gone to church. I'd heard about it. I, I don't know that I remembered a lot about it because I tried not to pay attention in church, too. Um, but I knew about it, mm-hmm. right? I knew about it. And, I, and I'd heard, heard as my family read it in the mornings. I'd slightly play, paid attention. And... Um, so I, I sat there after he put the book down on the coffee table and I remember looking at it, not really thinking a whole lot, but as I, as I sat there for a minute looking at the book and remembering dad's words, I had a feeling in my heart and my mind and, and it, the way it made me feel was so important. But the feeling was a message and I could hear it in my heart. Mm-hmm. It, go read the book. Yeah. And I, and I sat there and <laughs> I remember, I remember in my brain thinking, I hate reading. Yeah. I don't want to read. Gosh, dang it. <laughs> Especially Dad. this book, what? right? Dad, why would you invite <laughs> me to read a book? I don't want to read a book. Well, the interesting thing is that <clears throat> like you kind of took it as a challenge and you did it. Yeah. Like there were plenty of things that mom and dad asked you to do and you bristled at yeah. every single one of them. But, but that simple invite, it, it was more just an invitation. Yep. Like I think it's time. Yep. It and was, it was there was that. something about that invitation that you that stuck in you. Yep. Two things. It was the power of his love, mm-hmm. the way that he looked at me and the way that I, I think he probably went downstairs and he probably said a prayer to God and said, mm-hmm. how do I help my son? Yeah. And, and he probably felt the prompting and he acted on it. Mm-hmm. But I, I'll never forget the power of his love in that look. And, and the feeling that I felt, with that whisper of go read the book, like it was something, it was yeah. a spark. It wasn't yeah. just like, go read the book. Oh, Hey, I thought that, well, I don't, I don't think I want to read it. So done. No, I, I couldn't, I couldn't just be like, that wasn't real. So I sat there for a little while longer and then I was like, okay, you know, LDS boys have like, are supposed to go on missions mm-hmm. at 19. I better figure out if I'm going to go on a mission. I better you read don't have this. Much time uh, yeah. Like what have I got to lose? I'm, I've got right. nothing else going on right now for me. I'm a junior in high school. I'm failing everything. I'm, I'm averaging below a 2.0. Like I'm, I'm, I'm excelling at being awful. <laughs> Seriously. And, um, Hey, at least you excelled at yeah, it. Hey, you know, you gotta work hard to be awful sometimes. But anyway, I took, I remember I grabbed the book. I went downstairs in my room and I got down on my knees. And for the first time in my life, I said a prayer by myself, um, on my own sincerely. And so, with like real purpose, right? Real purpose. You had something that you wanted to Yeah. Know. I mean, I prayed in the, in the past, of course, growing up, mm-hmm. right? You say your bedtime prayers to mom and dad. When you're called on at, at dinner, you pray. Mm-hmm. All those things. Church, got to go say a prayer. Well, I can, yeah, I can recite a prayer right. that I've heard a million times, right? Always make sure we get home safely. <laughs> uh, bless food. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I went downstairs, and I remember for the first time, 
I, 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 I'd said prayers before as a little kid, but this was different. Like this was like, God, I don't know if you're there, Mm -hmm. but I'm coming to you. And, and I need to know if you're there. Like, I want to know if you're there. I believe there's no reason I don't believe you're there, Mm -hmm. but I need to know. And if I'm supposed to go on this mission, like I gotta know if this is real. Cause if it's not, I don't want to go. Right. I don't want to waste my time and I don't want to go fail at another thing in my life. Uh, Right. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, move on. And, and so I remember on my knees just saying those kind of words and then saying, I'm going to read this book. Please just promise me that if I read this book, you'll tell me if it's true or not. Mm-hmm. That's all I need. And so that was that. And I, and I started reading from that night. And as I started reading the Book of Mormon, all of a sudden, things started to change. And it, it's not because I purposely meant for them to change. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I, would, I wouldn't have started reading the book if like I had all, this on purpose, like, oh, I'm going to change my life because I'm reading this book. Yeah. I probably wouldn't have started reading the book if that was the focus. Right. But I decided to read the book because I just wanted to know if it was true. And my life started to change. Interesting. All of a sudden, I start hearing these messages of mercy and grace and and of service and of giving yourself and of of how to do this, that, and the other. And and I'm all of a sudden, I'm feeling light Mm. in my life. Like I literally am feeling light. Mm -hmm. I look people in the eyes. I engage with people. I'm happy. Like I'm... I'm, I'm smiling at people walking down the hall in school and I'm trying to like make sure they're happy too. You know, like I actually care about what, how other people are feeling rather than being stuck in the mud of my own life. I'm worried about everybody else. And, and it felt good because it had been a long time since I'd felt that way when mm-hmm. I was, you know, in depression and in ADD and I was stuck in this, what's wrong with Mike mode of my life. I was so focused on me and all my problems and all my garbage that it well, just, it got overwhelming. Calling yourself wrong. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. So hard. But all of a sudden it's changing and I'm mm-hmm. starting to look outside myself. Good. And I'm starting to get outside myself. I'm starting to try and do things for mom and dad around the house. I'm doing things for my friends at school. You're changing your friends, literally. Right? Totally. Right? And that's a good point. And, and was that like a, was that an on purpose thing? Like, no. were you like, I need to attract different people or it just kind of naturally happened. Naturally happened. As I'm reading this book, feeling different about myself, feeling different about what I want in my life. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden my friendships change. Mm-hmm. Like I still kept my friends. I love them. Right. But like I didn't spend time with the ones that didn't really help me feel better about life and about mm-hmm. the world and about how we can make the world a better place. Right. All of a sudden I started gravitating towards those that actually did. So you, Take this opportunity to really turn things around by the end of your junior year and you, you head into your senior year and you kill it. Kill it. You just, you, you, you have a lot of makeup work to do. Had you to. do it <laughs> and, and not only do you do it, but you excel. Yeah. I mean, I got about two years of schoolwork done in that one year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it just, yeah, like I caught fire. So at that point, now it's no question of if you're going on a mission because so, now you feel it, right? Good, good, good question. I got to tell you, I got to tell you the end of that story. Oh, so I finished reading the book of Mormon mm-hmm. on my, my, I'm in my senior year, I finished reading and 
there's there's a promise at the end of the Book of Mormon that says if you will read, it's written by a prophet, and he says if you will read these things, ponder them in your heart, and ask God if they're true, he will tell you the truth of these things by the power of the Holy Ghost. And and I, you know, I'd heard about this promise growing up, and so I I, I read that, and I've I've seen this pattern in my life all of a sudden start to unfold, and I'm like, wow, oh, you know, I feel happy. Mm-hmm. I haven't felt happy for a long time. And I, I remember finishing the book and getting on my knees and I asked God, is this true? Before I even asked him, I had this flood of light and just, just burning in my soul. This this is true. And, and that it's good Mm -hmm. and, and that I should go on a mission. Mm -hmm. And so I, I remember lifting up my head and being like, I'm going on a mission yeah. and I'm going to give everything I've got. So, uh, so I've stopped drinking with my friends. I've mm-hmm. stopped smoking with my friends, me and a really close friend of mine, uh, Logan, we decided together that we were going to go on missions and, and we, you know, we just kind of caught fire and we went into the M- MTC, the missionary training center for missionaries. I got called to Indiana. He got called to Korea, uh, South Korea, Taijong. And, um, I think it was so cool that camaraderie that we had together because we just fed off each other. And anyway, I got to Indiana uh, where I got called and, and I gave everything I had. I, I remember mm-hmm. my first, so, so I failed everything up to this point in my life, yeah. right? Except for mm-hmm. I finished school. I graduated. Finished strong. finished strong, but I go on my mission and I'm just, I'm like committed. I'm, I've never been committed to something so much in my entire life. And, and when I get there, my first area is Purdue campus in West Lafayette. Mm-hmm. It's a school full of, of engineers and very smart and intelligent people. And, and actually, um, a lot of these people don't believe in God because, you know, you know, what happens when, when you're really intelligent, sometimes you think your way out of, well, and not only that, when you're young and, yeah. and when you maybe haven't had to face some of the challenges that maybe you did or maybe in high come school, from like the background, the, right. You know, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're Pushing yourself hard yep. and that your focus isn't yeah. that right now. Yeah. You know? So and so a lot of these kids mm-hmm. aren't. A lot of them are, right? Yeah. But but I, I remember getting on that campus and I remember every single person that I walked past, I had to talk to them. Mm-hmm. I had to tell them about this light that changed my life. And I was on fire. And I I thought every person I talked to is gonna join the church. Didn't happen, <laughs> but you know what? It was phenomenal. And it got me to this place where I learned to talk to anybody about everything mm-hmm. and, and to connect with people. Mm-hmm. And it just carried throughout my mission. I gave everything I had. And I'll tell you what, it was it was a shining, shining part of my life that I will never forget. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity. I got to tell you this, Dan. I, yeah. I thought of this the other day. The first person I ever talked to on my mission um, once I got to, to Lafayette on mm-hmm. Purdue campus, his name was Gareth Yalman. Mm-hmm. And, and I, he was at a bus stop. I went up to him and he was smoking and he was blowing smoke in my face. So I'm trying to tell him <laughs> about, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perfect. And I, you know, I think I called him, like I gave him a book of Mormon, got his number. I thought we were going to teach him. And, and I think I called him every single Sunday for about two months straight, <laughs> inviting him to church. And finally he was like, all right. Is it Elder? Elder Gregson? Yeah. You don't you need to call me anymore. It's good. I appreciate you. And this, that, and then I remember sitting there going, oh my gosh. Well, yeah. Well, I did wrong there. He, she, I thought he was going to join the church. Anyway. But no, I, I'll never forget that. And it just, I gave everything I had. I gave so, everything I had. 
I mean, it's awesome. So, and, and this is like such a short turnaround. It's, it's only a, you know, a, a year or two you've, you've built momentum, you go on your mission, you just, you, you accelerate that momentum and just keep running with it. And then your mission ends. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. So what was it like? you you, so after two years is up, then you just come back home and you come back home to Salt Lake city and and what? Um, what? What do you come back home to? What are What are your goals? What are you thinking? Uh, yeah, good. did I have any? So it's a good question. Living in the real world, right? Not mm-hmm. on a mission. I had no idea what I wanted to be. Yeah. No idea what I wanted to do. I I wasn't going to play in the NBA. Um, wasn't <laughs> an option for me. And um, I I didn't grow up wanting to be a doctor, a dentist, a, a you know a lawyer, whatever. And so I I kind of I had success on my mission. I was very good at it. And so I kind of thought thought through like, well, okay, was, I have some friends talking about wanting to be lawyers. Mm-hmm. And my mission president was a lawyer. Maybe I'll be a lawyer. I had a brother at the time talking about maybe wanting to be a dentist. I had some friends mentioning this, that, and the other. I I had no idea. Yeah. And so I kind of pretended, mm-hmm. right? I kind of pretended to be like, okay, yeah, well, some of my really cool friends that are doing really good things want to do this. And so I'm just going to kind of go that way too. Yeah. And so I got going in college. Um, but it didn't take long. Uh, my study habits were much better. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed reading. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, going into school in a classroom setting where there's not really a, that connection that I thrive yeah. off of. Yeah. Um, I remember after about the first year I over, I overloaded myself. Yeah, I, you did. I did 24 hours. My first, uh, my first few couple, my first year and a half, actually, like 24 hours every semester, right? And it's just mm-hmm. over. And then I worked 30 hours for work and I just burned myself yeah, out much. with school. Yeah, I, I didn't really, I didn't know how to approach it. Yeah. Um, I just felt like I need to stay on fire like I was on my mission, which was totally right. not, it's not the case. It's not, it's not the case. And um, so anyway, I, I went into it and, and started struggling again. And, and how did that, so this must've been scary because it's like, crap, I'm going back to this place and and I don't want to be in this place. I know good. I I know how that feels, but I, but I'm slipping back. Yep. That's a scary feeling. Well, and, and all those feelings come back. Right. So like when I'm in, when I'm in high school, I'm really starting to feel ashamed of myself because all my siblings are excelling. All my friends are excelling. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And and all of a sudden, those feelings kind of start to come back yeah. a little bit when I'm yeah. at, when I'm in college. And and you know, I start dating again, and and I'm I'm just burning myself out. Like in every aspect of my life, I'm busy, 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 which is fine, yeah. totally fine. But but as busy, long as you're taking care of yourself, with, you, know? you mentioned earlier about having the vision, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a vision, then that's fine, right? Cause you're working towards that vision. I wasn't working towards anything. I was just working to work. Right. Yes. I was just trying to look busy, stay busy, be busy mm-hmm. and uh, not really knowing what direction I was. I was kind of like a leaf in the wind, yeah. you know, just going with anywhere the wind blew me. And, um, I, I, I got, anyway, I got serious with this one girl and I, I was not at this point in my life. I was not doing very well. Mm-hmm. Depression was starting to sink in, in again. Um, I, I was 
focus so much more with friendships again. I started sloughing college classes all the time. Like mm-hmm. I, I stopped going basically. Um, and, and dropped out yeah. in all reality, dropped out and, and would just talk and say, Oh, I'm going to finish and this, that. And that. I mean, it, but in my mind, I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I mm-hmm. hate college. I don't, it doesn't, this is not helping me. And, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm dating this girl pretty seriously. And, and, there's some red flags for sure about this relationship for her and I, and, mm-hmm. and uh, um, we got married and, and married in the temple. And, and uh, so it was very serious, you know, that's what our, our, our families are all about. And um, it didn't last very long. Um, it was, it was really tough. Uh, we started to fight um, and argue and, and we just weren't in a good place and and it it wasn't, it didn't go well at all for either of us and, and, uh, ended pretty quickly actually. Um, and my self-esteem at that point, well, here I am. I I failed. I I quit basketball. I failed through school. Yes. I've served this mission, Mm -hmm. but this is like different than it's not real life. Yeah. It's different than life. And I'm failing everything in life. And this is all that's going through my brain. Yeah. I'm, I'm a failure Mm -hmm. and there's so much shame, you know, and not only that, Dan, but I, there are things in my life, right. Right. And like, I'm a young, I'm a young guy. We just went through a divorce. Like, obviously there's, there's things like pornography available. Like, like, I go through this divorce and I start drinking again because right. I'm trying to like find something to. You're just, trying to fill the hole, yes, right? And, You're and, trying to just feel yeah, okay. Yeah, and I, and I so that light that switched on when I when I found God, mm-hmm. I tried to basically take God and put him in a closet and say, "I know you're there. I love you, but right now, like I'm hurt and I just yeah. need to not feel." Right. Yeah. I not, I need to not feel guilty or ashamed. And I had so much shame in my life and I didn't even recognize it. And it, and it, you know, it just, it just made, it just made me live in sorrow yeah. about who I was and what I was doing. And, um, anyway, I, at that point in my life, I moved to Arizona and it's to get away from family and friends. And not that I, not that I had done anything that I needed to, but I just needed a new start at that point. Yeah. It, it becomes suffocating, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. I can't get out of my own brain. Right. You know, I, I can't. And so I'm, I'm again, I'm going inward at this point. Yeah. Totally coming inward. Super dangerous, but that's what shame does. Right. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. And, and so I moved down to Arizona to work with a cousin who had an electric company and I lived with him for a while and then, um, went and did some other things. And then I had a, I met this guy, he's a good buddy of mine that went through divorce himself. He also belongs to the, the same church I do. And, and so they made some commonalities there. He served a mission and he went through divorce. And so mm-hmm. we're like, Hey, yeah, and let's go clubbing. Yeah. So all of a sudden here we are in Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona, who, you know, like they throw lots of it's parties. A great place to go. Clubbing, yeah, right? If you want to go clubbing, that's a great place <laughs> to go. It's mini LA. And so every night of the week, except for maybe one or two, we are going clubbing mm-hmm. and we, I'm spending every dime I make and I'm just party, party like a rock star, I guess is, yeah. is the way I can describe it. Floating, mm-hmm. trying to put my energy into this thing to feeling like maybe it can give me something back. You know, like all these, there's all these pretty girls here and there's all these, these dudes that seem like they're really successful and yeah. they're making lots of money. So maybe I can connect with them and get doing what they're doing, whatever. Mm-hmm. And 
but I was drinking so much. I, I couldn't even, yeah. like, I can't even remember, you know, it's, it, but it was, it's flashy lights. It is an exciting, exciting life. And well, and, and, and so when you're so dark internally yeah, that you've got the flashing lights and kind of the excitement externally, like at least you've got that, yep. you know, that's that, an that instant be, gratification mm-hmm. for that night. I yeah. felt on top of the world for every sure. time I'd go, you know, and, and which is probably why you're going every night. Yeah, it, it was. And then, and so I started drinking and smoking again and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And, 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 you know, it, what's funny, Dan, about, about drinking and drugs mm-hmm. is when you take them, you literally start to believe they make you better. Mm. Like they make me happier mm-hmm. or more fun to be around or or more sophisticated, right? Yeah. Like smoking weed will make me understand the universe better, Excellent. right? Yeah. <laughs> no, but it but it's very weird, but it's yeah. it's kind of true. And so you kind of you kind of put these alternate realities on what reality really is because mm-hmm. that's what drugs do. And, and they're exciting at, at first. I mean, yeah. that's why people get addicted to them the rest, you know, for, for their, the rest of their lives sometimes. Mm-hmm. So here I am going clubbing all the time and I, I'm doing well in work, but as I continue to keep going clubbing and I spend so much time doing that, first of all, I have no savings account cause I'm blowing it every night. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after that, you know, besides that, um, what's happening is all of a sudden my job, I'm starting to like question everything about myself and I feel guilt and shame as I go into work. And I think maybe my boss knows what I'm doing and and here's the shame and this guilt. I can't escape my own mind. And you got to keep it hidden though. So then you got to start lying. Totally. Mm -hmm. You become a liar. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what addicts, one of the addicts best traits is lying. Oh yeah. Right. And, um, any, anyway, I didn't recognize the destruction I was bringing into my own life. Right. I had a job. You know, I felt like, hey, you know, at least I'm in a, a decent spot. I'm now having fun. I'm partying all the time. Um, and this lasted for probably about three years. Yeah. And I wasn't, I wasn't in any way trying to connect with God, in, like with faith at all. I was just trying to disconnect. And I, I won't forget, I'll never forget, I, I got a DUI coming back uh from the club one night and at that point in my life it just kind of all of a sudden the brake slammed on everything kind of crashed after that right yeah it was time for for me to face reality well the crazy thing is uh, is i'm trying to face reality like i lose my license so i'm having to ride my bike 17 miles one way to and from work in the arizona sun in the arizona (laughs) and 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 all of a sudden i'm not clubbing anymore Right. right because when that happens and you can't drive, then your wingman knows you can't drive and he's no longer your wingman and your friends kind of right. dissipate and they go their, their separate directions and you're kind of left on your own. Um, I spent some time in jail because of that. Um, but as I was going through this, I mean, mm-hmm. it's a long process when you have a DUI. As I'm yeah. going through this, um, I get a phone call from dad while I'm at work one day and, and he said, son, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay, dad, what's up? And he, and he, he said, don't be worried. You know, don't be worried. I'm, I'm, I've got to talk to you about something serious. And, and it's a, it's, as soon as a child hears that, they're like, oh my gosh, something serious going on. Going on yeah. right. And he, and dad proceeded to tell me, um, I've been having migraines for the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. 
And mom and I had been going to the doctors and they found a lump in my brain. And Dan, I hadn't felt the spirit for a long time in my life. Yeah. Um, it'd been pretty, pretty dark, either dark or like a huge adrenaline rush, right? With the partying days. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that moment he said that I had this, uh, that, that same feeling come to me. Mm-hmm. You need to drop everything you're doing in Arizona and go home. And dad, dad was my, dad was my best friend. Yeah. Um, he, he, he really looked after you at this point in your yeah, life, right? Like yeah, the, he knew you, you had really no one else that, that was looking after you, but yeah. dad always did. He came down to visit one time mm-hmm. in Arizona and I had, I had marijuana underneath the sink in mm-hmm. my bathroom. I thought I had it hidden in a pretty good spot. Mm-hmm. Dad, dad was the kind of dad that he found it. And instead of coming and getting all upset at his 26 year old son, um, or 25 at that point, mm-hmm. he took it and he flushed it down the toilet. He knew, he knew that I, I, I right. would have known that it was him. He knew that I would have, that's what I would have con- put the conclusion to that he did and that. that. There was nothing else to say. He didn't have to mm-hmm. say anything and he knew me well enough. It, and the next phone call was not a phone call of a beatdown. Right. Of son, what are you doing? What it wasn't he knew that I was giving myself enough shame in my life and right. I was having so much guilt from all these things that the next phone call he's he's uplifting me and he's loving me. And he was so good at that. He was. And so when when I heard he had cancer, um, or heard he had a lump, he didn't know it was cancer at that point. I, I knew I had to get home. Yeah. And and I I mean Dan, I to the point in my life where I had nothing. I had no car at this point because of the DUI. So I literally had to take the Greyhound bus yeah. up to Utah. To a place that you're not super comfortable being. Yeah, and I and I have I have like I can fit two suitcases. So I leave <laughs> half my stuff in Arizona. Mm-hmm. I take two suitcases and a Greyhound bus to Utah, going to live in my mom and dad's house as a at this point, probably a twenty six year old man. And I look awful. There's yeah. no light in my eyes. There's, there's no light in my life. I am addicted to drinking. I'm still trying to have this marijuana addiction in my life. And it's like, you can't do that. So mm-hmm. in my brain, I'm going, well, maybe I can change now that I'm back home because I probably should, mm-hmm. but I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't do that. And and when I got home, dad had already had can already had um, surgery to remove the lump in his brain. Cause it was cancer. Um, glioblastinoma or glioblastinoma. Yeah. Thank you. I always mm-hmm. say it with a B. Um, and, and that's the worst type of brain cancer you can get. And so, you know, he was given, I think two and a half years at first, they did the brain surgery on him and he, he lost a, a lot of the left side of his body, his movement. He and just even his vision. Dead, and yeah. And know? he, and he totally changed. Yep. And so by the time I got home, it's like, it's like dad wasn't there. Yeah. And I was just at that point, I was broken. Yeah. I mean it more so than I ever had been in my life. The one guy you could turn to. Yes. And now, now there is a level of shame in Mm -hmm. my life. I, I had gone on this mission. Mm -hmm. I'd given everything to serving people and to serving God. I was on fire. I had seen miracles in my life and in other people's lives often. Yeah. And I had ruined everything about that. Everything I stood for talking to people on my mission, I'd, I'd ruined since then because I wasn't living up to what I was telling people or teaching people about. Mm-hmm. 
I was so, I had so much shame in my life. It was, I couldn't escape it. Every single day I'd wake up and the first thing that would come to my mind is shame. So the first thing I'd run to do is to drink because I yeah. didn't want to feel it. I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to feel it. So I, I, I just started drinking. And I mean, I would, I would try and go work jobs and, and I would, I, I would last at a job for probably about four weeks before in my brain, I'd go, they know I'm drinking. I can't keep coming here or else I'm going to get in a lot of trouble because right. I'm drinking on my breaks. I'm drinking in the mornings. I'm drinking in the evenings. I am literally a walking bottle of alcohol. Yeah. I've, I've, I've got more alcohol in my system than I do water at this point. So it, it's, it was, it was crazy. Um, I got to the point where I, I got kicked out of my own home because mm -hmm. mom knew the influence that I was bringing into her home and around the family. This is after dad died. Um, when dad died, that was the lowest point in my life. And fortunately the night before he died, I was, I was able to, to come, come to enough that I, I knew that I needed to talk to him. And I, and he, he was, he was lethargic at that point. He wasn't yeah. responsive, but I went into his room and I remember saying a prayer first. I hadn't prayed for a long time, but I remember saying a prayer and just I just said, help me to talk to my dad. Mm -hmm. And I remember putting my arms around his neck and, and without any response from him, of course, I just told him how much I loved him and how grateful I was for him, that he was my hero and, mm -hmm. and that I, you know, I, um, I was, I was going to change my life. Yeah. And I promised him. I said, I, I promise you I will get myself to the point where um, I, I'm always there for your family that yeah. I don't let your, your wife, my mom and, and your daughters and my brother down and I'll be there. I promise you I'll be there. I'll get myself back, back to the temple where, you know, in, in, in my life good again with God. And, and I could feel he, he couldn't respond, but I could feel him shuddering on the inside and mm -hmm. I knew he heard, I knew he heard me. And that was so important to me and so special to me because that night at 2 a.m. in the morning, he passed away. Well, and, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I've thought about a lot is I think he was kind of waiting for you to tell him that because I think he had been ready for a while yeah. to go. Yeah, um, I think so too. And, and I think you saying that was actually kind of a release for him. Like, okay, I'm going to trust him. Here we go. I think you're right. Now... So is this, so this is a pretty dark place. Yeah. You, you've, you've had a DUI. You're kind of done having the fun that you could have in Arizona. You're back in Utah. You, you're living at your mom's, you, but you're kind of kicked out and your dad has died. Is this rock bottom? Almost. So what's rock bottom <laughs> then, man? So, so the shame, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just the shame, the guilt. For sure. Um, and, and close, I'm, I'm getting there. Like mm -hmm. we're really close. So dad dies. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I start to spend time with these buddies that are, are again, they're going to clubs and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, well, maybe, maybe I at least can go get that. Go forget Excitement, something, something. Right? And I, yet I, I don't, I'm not driving, right. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just kind of like relying on buddies at this point in my life here. I'm a 27 year old man. I like have no license. I can't do anything. And mm -hmm. how sad. And but I was in so much shame. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd taken my life and I'd lived it to the point where I had nowhere to go. I had no escape from me. Mm -hmm. Nothing. I felt like there was no hope for me. So I was going to party it away. Yeah. Right. And I didn't care. I just didn't care. I was ready to go. I remember waking up feeling like almost daily. I'm ready to die. 
I'm like, take me from this earth. I'm ready to go. Yeah. So I, I go clubbing one night in, in Sandy and I go in to the club and I, I start flirting with a girl. And apparently this girl is the bouncer's girlfriend. Who cares? But I get kicked out mm-hmm. while well, my friends are in there and they've got the car. So I'm, I'm like, I like to go. turn around. Yeah. I have nowhere to go. So I turn around and I go, and it's cold. This is mm-hmm. like November or no, it was November, but it was cold. And, um, so I tried to go back in and the guy, the guy's like, if, if, if you come back here, I'm going to call the cops. So I, I left for a while and then I was like, I, I need to, I need to go over and just tell him I need to talk to my buddies. Yeah. So I'm like, no harm, no foul. That's not a big deal. So I walk over there and as soon as he sees me, he calls the cops on me. Oof. So they come, they arrest me. Um, and, and so I have this legal thing going on still mm-hmm. or, or now. And, um, anyway, I, I, I missed a court date because I, I just, I had nothing. Like I, I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything productive in my life. Right. So I missed a court date because I didn't want to go to jail or whatever. And, um, I missed a court date, which I've said four times. I apologize. Did you miss a court date? Yeah, sure did. Okay. Um, but anyway, um, mom and, and my grandparents talked to me and they're like, we, you need to go. Yeah. You don't know what this is going to do your life. You don't go. And so basically I was forced because I didn't want to go. Um, but they took me to court and I met with, I met and of course I went and stood before the judge and, and I, I will never forget. So mom's sitting directly behind me as I'm sitting there and I'm standing in front of the judge, talking to the judge, not saying anything, just answering questions. Mm-hmm. Um, the judge could see mom like sitting directly behind me mm-hmm. and seeing the sorrow in mom's face for her son. And I, I think the merciful judge just said, you know what? You're going to jail for 30 days. You've got to change your life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I remember standing there in this courtroom, like what? Yeah. And the off, the officer comes and cuffs me right there. And poor mom oh, sitting man. behind me, just crushed her. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's just ugh, like, what do you do? I'm sure in her brain though, she's going, gosh, maybe this will help. Right. You know, like yeah. maybe this is one of those things. Maybe Wake him up. Some mercy. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so anyway, I'm sitting there in the courtroom and getting ready to go to jail and they put me in there for 30 days. And this is after, this is about a month after dad died. And, um, it was, it was a it, it was awakening. Like yeah. it helped me a lot because I, I didn't have a chance to run to alcohol or drugs and it gave me 30 days to think, but I, but I still wasn't out of it, Dan. I was a full blown alcoholic. I was an addict yeah. and, and I, I wasn't willing to admit that to myself. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of carrying on right now. I need to get to the point. So I get out. Um, I start, I'm, I'm working these jobs, but the problem is with, with being an alcoholic is you can't stay in one place for too long because mm-hmm. things catch up to you. Um, and if they don't catch up to you in your brain, they've already caught up to you. Cause in your brain, you're like, uh, everyone knows, you know, like oh, oh, after a certain amount of time, people know I'm, I'm drinking right. and that's bad. And it's a dark, it's a dark, dark reality you cannot escape from. And so I'm bouncing from job to job while well, I'm working at this one job in, in Utah, in Provo, Utah. And it, I was doing, I was, I was selling this, um, coaching on, in the stock market. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting off the phone with somebody and I put my headset down 
and I in my brain I was like I'm I'm ready to kill myself I'm done I'm so done with this this life I hate it yeah I hate everything about me everything I've done in my world and so I I went home and I I walked down I walked down into my room and I took every ounce of my energy and I directed at God and mm-hmm. I said, look in every four letter word I could, I said, this is all your fault. You're perfect. You're omniscient. You're all the things everybody's told me my whole life. And you created me. Well, I'd say you didn't do a very good job. You're not perfect in my book because you screwed up. And I would, I was screaming at the top of my lungs. I, I was so frustrated and just, I was angry. I was, there's no other way to put it. I was just angry, angry at God. But that's interesting. When you're angry at God and you're yelling at him like that, what are you saying to God? You're at least engaged. I know you're there. Yeah, exactly. And you're crying out. Mm -hmm. Right. And sometimes that's what he wants to hear from you. Right. We think it's like, no, you can't talk to God angry or you can't talk to God when you're mad. Baloney. Yeah, that's garbage. He wants to hear that. He loves and he loves unconditionally. And he wants you to bring all that stuff to him because that's honesty. Mm -hmm. That's real. That's transparency. And that's what we have to do for him to help us. So as I'm sitting here yelling, screaming, I'm out of energy and, and I, I just get on my bed and I'm just crying. I mean, I'm, I'm literally thinking, how do I end my life? Do I do it with a gun? Do I um, drink something? Do I, what, what do I do? Mm-hmm. How do I kill myself? How do I get rid of myself? Um, there it is. And again, that voice. Get on your knees and say a prayer. <laughs> I remember hearing it and I, I knew what it was. And I remember this time thinking, how am I supposed to talk to you after I just got done yelling yeah. everything at you, including all the four letter words in the English alphabet that aren't nice to say, mm-hmm. how can I do that? And I just was crying so hard, a lot of anguish in my soul, so dark. And it came again, get on your knees and say a prayer. And, and I, I did. I, I rolled over and got on my knees and, and I had no idea what to say. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know how to approach him at that point in my life. Right. And after a few minutes, I just, I got out the words, help me, help me. And as soon as they left my lips, those words left my lips, I just felt like a rush. I felt him wrap his arms around me and I knew he loved me unconditionally and that I had value to him. And that he sent his son for that me. That you had value. Period. At, but, at, at what you thought was the biggest yep. failure a part of your life, that you had value, and right? Yeah, yeah. Just, it made me feel so much love mm-hmm. that I hadn't felt for such a long time. And anyway, um, moving on with the story, I still an alcoholic though. Yeah. And that didn't just go away. It didn't just take that from that me. moment. Doesn't yeah. change, yeah. Uh, you know, years of yeah. addiction and years of hard work of getting addicted. Right. <laughs> right? I mean, that's yeah. in all reality. You work hard to get something. You got to work hard to get out of it. And uh, so anyway, but that gave me a, a spiritual boost and some light and I felt mm-hmm. worth it again. Mm-hmm. And I met Alicia, you know, I, Alicia is my wife now and I met her in my darkest hour 
And the first night I met her, I had a conversation with her and, and I said, I, I'm not where I want to be in life and I yeah. want to get back there. And I just remember like for some reason that conversation, she was able to look past all the dark and see something good within me. Mm-hmm. And, um, not to mention the fact that she liked the way that I, you know, I wore my baggy pants. I think, oh, I, man, I think, how do you, how do you say no to it, a guy? It's that... just such a look, man. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> no, but, but she, I, I tell people this all the time. I know the grace of God because he brought her into my life at this important and critical part of my life. And the, the interesting thing is, is as your family, we all saw and recognized like what she yeah. was doing for you. She and, lifted And we me. knew that this was an important thing in your life. She showed me love when I had no love for myself. Mm-hmm. And that's what I needed to see. I needed yeah. to have that hope that somebody could do that for me. Because I wanted to believe in that so bad. But I didn't, I didn't know that it was possible anymore. I, I didn't love myself. Um, so anyway, I, I decided to start going back to church and, and trying to get my spiritual life going. But the one thing I learned, Dan, is, is even though I could feel better and feel loved by God, I didn't love myself. Yeah. And that was a battle. Like You're still I, stuck in shame. Stuck in shame. So shameful and, and guilt, but shame, so ashamed of myself. And it's, it's all internal talk. Mm-hmm. It's mic talk, right? Mm-hmm. It's you're this, you're that, you're not this, you're not that, you're awful. I mean, it's all those things. Mm -hmm. And that's what shame does. It just beats you up and it doesn't let you go. So how did you take all of that that was going internal and start pushing it out external so that you were changing your life? What what happened? What was the... I needed a miracle. Yeah, you did. Straight up. And... And that there's, there's no skirting or like beating around the bush for that. I needed a miracle. Yeah. I needed a gift. And, uh, so anyway, I, here's what happened. I, as I was going back to church, um, Alicia and I <clears throat> decided to go to what's called a family home evening, um, with the people of the congregation and it's on a Monday night. And so we, we were getting in her car. Mm-hmm. It was the first night, a uh, warm night of spring, May the 4th. And as we're getting in her car, we're like, why are we, why are we not riding on the scooter? I had just bought this. Cause why would you yeah, not right? ever yes. not be riding on the a scooter? Scooter. <laughs> a scooter people, a 27 year old man riding a scooter. Um, but it's all good. They're great. And so we were only going about two blocks away to get to my church and, and we look at each other and we're like, yeah, let's take the scooter. I didn't have any helmets. I'd only had this thing for a week. Mm-hmm. Church is two blocks away. I mean, no what? Yeah, ain't, ain't no thing. And so we go, we have a really good night. Just, it feels good. It's like yeah. refreshing. Yeah. But there's still all this shame, right? I haven't learned how to overcome that yet. And um, anyway, we, we're having such a good time. We decide to go and, and rent a movie at Hollywood Video, um, which is this building that used to have lots of <laughs> movies that you'd go and pay money for to borrow. Yeah. For all you youngsters out there. Yeah, no doubt, right? So kids, when you listen to this in 100 (laughs) years, just know that like that was once a thing. Uh, But we did that, and then we went to the Smith's next door uh, to get uh, Smith's a grocery store to get some stuff for a milkshake. So we were deciding we are just going to go home and have a good night, watch a movie, and and have a milkshake. We hop on the scooter. We're heading home, and and as we're going 40 miles an hour down the street, um, coming the opposite direction was a young gal, and she got distracted, and she hit us head on. Uh, She turned way too early. And she nailed us. She was she was accelerating into the turn. Uh, again, turned way too early, 
We think she was distracted, looked up, saw a scooter and thought, I'm either going to hit him or I got to beat him. And she tried to beat us and, and accelerated into us and just nailed us. Um, so we slammed on the hood. We smacked the windshield, went flying off the car. Um, Alicia, my wife was my girlfriend at the time. She, um, was scalped. She broke her neck and her back and her neck and her back in seven places, broke her femur, shattered her knee, shattered her foot. She was totally alert the whole time. And I was comatose at the scene. They thought I was dead. I, I broke my skull in three places and I had brain injuries, traumatic brain injuries, my frontal lobe and my side lobe. Um, and I broke my leg. I have a rod in my leg. And, and But they again, they thought I was dead at the scene. Mm-hmm. And so the first responder, his name is Spencer Hall. He's, he's one of Alicia and I's heroes. He was sitting at the light um, right by where we got hit. And he, he had practiced being, he'd gone on a couple of practice mm-hmm. runs to be an EMT and his buddy who was a doctor, he was on the phone with him. And so he sees it's this accident crazy. and he's like, Whoa, mm-hmm. Holy cow. What do I do? And he runs up and, and he, you know, he sees me and I think he thinks I'm dead and, and there's no movement there. So of course he sees Alicia yeah. and she's moving squirming. And so the first reaction is go, go help her, hold mm-hmm. her down. Don't let her move. You help her out. And so he puts her kind of scout back together and then mm-hmm. he puts her, her, his hands on her head and gives her a blessing. Mm-hmm. And in our, in our faith, blessings are very important. And it was amazing how God put him in our path mm-hmm. to really help us. And, and I, we, he's our hero, you know, we love him and, and he's in, in a, in a big part, a big part of our story, but he's, a, he's, he saved us. He helped to save our lives. And, so anyway, the paramedics took Alicia off to the hospital and they, they realized I was alive. Um, and so they got me in the ambulance, took me off. I was in a coma for three days. Um, and some special things happened. Yeah. Um, so when I was in my coma, I actually was with dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not going to go into detail, but some of the things that we were able to discuss when I was with him, um, I know he... he I no, lo- I no longer needed to ask him for forgiveness. Yeah, because I had so much shame that I didn't show up for him in his darkest moment of cancer, and he showed up for me all the time in my life, mm-hmm. and that crushed me. I mean, I was dealing with all this shame of hating myself and and not living up to anything, but more than that, I was dealing with the shame of letting my father and my best friend down. Yeah, and that was so hard for me. Cause he never let me down and that time of his life I, that I needed to really be there for him. I, I was in, I had a body, but I was absent. Yeah. I was nowhere to be found. And, um, anyway, I had some moments with him when I was in my coma that were very special. And then I woke up from my coma three days later and I literally, they didn't know if I was going to make it. And, um, because of the bleeding in my brain and the traumatic brain injuries and, so they were kind of preparing mom and all of you guys for the worst. And when I woke up, you'll remember this, you were there, but I, I woke up and I told all the doctors and nurses that I was the Wolverine. Yeah. yeah. Like I had no <laughs> idea who I was or where I was, but something had changed. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden I knew that I'd been given another opportunity. I knew that it was good for me to have this opportunity to just hmm. start over. Yeah. And that I is that had, what it felt like? Yeah. That, that you just like reset. Yep. Here we go. Yep. 
it was it was like because of the experience that I had with dad mm-hmm. I knew that this was an opportunity for me to come down and or, or sorry not come down but come back and, mm-hmm. and and just not worry about all that stuff yeah I learned so much from all my failures I am so grateful for all my failures that I went through all that shame that I put myself through has now prepared me to help other people that are putting themselves through the same thing. And we all do it. Oh yeah. And I, all I want to do is help. I remember being on my mission, the very end of my mission, being on my knees and sincerely saying to God, I'm about to finish up the best thing that I've ever done in my life. Mm -hmm. Please help me to be helpful to people throughout the rest of my life. If there's anything that you can give me, just give me the ability to help people for the rest of my life. And he did. And it was all, it was my choices, right? Yeah. That got me there. But, but I went through some hard, hard things and he never, he showed up every time. Every time I cried out, he showed up. Yeah. Every time you, you tried to engage, yep. he was there. So I want to ask you something yeah. that I don't think so. So I um, always look at that accident and your coma as kind of the thing that changed you. And from then on, you were good. But that doesn't really, that, that kind of takes away. The reality. From the, from the well, <laughs> yes. Yep. From the work that you still had I to still do. I still was an alcoholic. You, yeah. Like you, you still had a road to go. Yeah. It, it wasn't you woke up from and this coma and everything. all of a sudden you certainly had changed your demeanor I was softer. You were, yeah. your, your anger was gone. You know, so much was different, but you still had these addictions yeah. that, that, you know, that, yep. that, that you had to go back Very to. Real. Now I, I just real quick, if you could just kind of speak to you're in a good place now, but you're still having these yeah. desires to do certain yep. things. How did you, how did you finish the process? Good. That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that because I don't want to leave that out. So of course, I, I mean, I, I'm in the hospital six weeks. I get out of the hospital I'm, and I'm on so much pain medication. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I, I didn't have any yeah. urges at that point, right? I'm trying to heal. And that makes sense. I'm, I'm going through brain therapy and occupational therapy. I'm learning how to pick up pennies one hand at a time <laughs> and put them in a cup. I mean, I'm starting from scratch, yeah. right? I'm like a little kid again. And Alicia's, Alicia's recovery was amazing. And she was was such a strength to me. Holy cow. She was like, she, she got out of the hospital and went right to work. She's in a wheelchair. She's got pins in her toes. She's got a a halo halo on like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh. And she goes to work and she just like, she just like, and she was happy to do it. Yes. And she just goes at it. Mm -hmm. How lucky am I to have her in my life? You have no idea. Holy (laughs) cow. Oh, I mean, every anniversary I look at a, across the table at her and go, I don't know about you, but I'm super excited that, <laughs> that you're still with me. But, uh, anyway, um, no. So I, as I, as I start to recover, um, I, I just knew mm-hmm. I'd been given an opportunity mm-hmm. and, and either I'm going to make this thing worse than it's ever been and, and it's over for me mm-hmm. or I've got to change. And yeah. so I, I, I tried to go to AA, mm-hmm. um, Alcoholics Anonymous, but I, I just didn't really like the spirit of it. Mm-hmm. It was good. Yeah. I mean, it was good, right? But I but I didn't like the spirit of it, and I thought that people kind of went to meet other people that had the problems so they could kind of keep it going, whatever. Right. 
Um, but I found out that the LDS church had an LDS 12 step meeting and that it, it involved, um, the savior and, and mm-hmm. the principles of the, of his gospel in there. And that, that appealed to me. Yeah. Um, and so I started going and, and because I couldn't work because of my brain, I, I went twice a day. I mean, here yeah. I am riding the bus all over Salt Lake city so I could attend two, uh, basically AA meetings for the LDS church two a day. Mm-hmm. And, and at first, at first it was uncomfortable. Yeah. It was hard. It was not easy to sit in those meetings because it made me like look within. And the first time I heard that, you know, pride is, is really the root of everything. I'm like, I don't have pride. Like I'm a broken man. I'm riding the bus, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is awful. But I did. Yeah. I, it wasn't this bottle mm-hmm. and this liquid in the bottle that, that, that made me go back to it all the time is it was, it was the root was pride. Yeah. It's that I felt like I could find the answers without including God or anybody else. I didn't need help. I didn't need my parents to tell me what to do. I didn't need my siblings to tell me what to do. I didn't need my friends to tell me how to do things. I was so prideful. Mm-hmm. I didn't let anybody in. Yeah, I remember you used to say, I'm not an alcoholic, I'm a micaholic. Yeah. And and that kind of fits that description yeah. very well. I mm-hmm. was so focused inward that I couldn't give anything ex- like outside of me a chance. Mm-hmm. And that's pride. Yeah. It's not it's not because you have a nicer car and you're looking at the guy down the road and you're like, yeah, I'm a nicer car. Just, <laughs> that's 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 a form of pride, but that's not pride. Yeah. Pride is when you are not willing to look at anything but you. And even if you're not in a, in a great spot, but anyway, um, I, I fell in love with it and I, and I, I, I overcame alcohol. Um, it took a long time. I mean, I didn't go back to drinking after the accident, but it took a long time for me to get to a place where I didn't crave it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to, I started to love myself. I started to, I started to see like the lessons that I'd learned and the, the value now that I now had and the gift that I'd been given. This was a huge gift in my life. It now gave me the opportunity to turn around and like really, really help people. Yeah. So I, I actually became a facilitator in the LDS 12 step program. And, and I just, I, my desire to serve was instilled to this day. Like I just want to serve. Yeah. I, I just want to give back. And it's funny, Dan, and, and, and I'll just mention this real quick. When I was talking, when I was living in Arizona, parting away, dad, dad was trying to give me little bits and pieces to help me every once in a while. We were having a conversation one day and I was just saying, dad, I, I'm not, I don't feel happy with my life. I'm, I'm like selling cars. Yeah. I'm making good money, but I'm not happy. I don't feel like I'm doing anything for anybody. And then I'm going and parting my life away. And he knew that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, son, I'm 50 years old. And the morning I wake up, wake up and I know exactly what I want to do with my life, I'll call you and we're going to do it together. Does <laughs> yeah. that sound good? And of course, you know, I laughed and whatever, but then he got serious and he said, I've learned in my life, if I can attach the service to whatever I do, mm-hmm. how, what am I doing to bless somebody else's life? What am I doing to help somebody else? If I can find that service piece in anything that I do, then it's worth it brings doing, right? me joy yeah. and I am happy. And that's how our father lived. Yeah. And I started to really take that. I remembered he said that to me and I remember taking that to heart. And even when I was recovering and living in mom's home and I couldn't move around very well, like doing the dishes became a, yeah. like, I want to do that for mom and I want to do it like the dumbest little things. But like, I started to think 
what can I do for somebody else right now? How can I make that person's job easier? Or how can I make their life easier? And that became my go-to, mm-hmm. my focus, my thought process. And man, that's when joy started coming back in my life. And that's how a missionary lives. You know, like you go back to my mission yeah. where it's like the shining moment. That's how a missionary lives. Everything is for everybody else. That's my happy that's now. That's my happy now. Yeah. I want to not think about me. Yeah. I want to serve. I want to give. That's the, the whole, the whole purpose of come towards delight for you and I is Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want to be stuck on me. Yeah. I want to help. And, And if all I can do is help people learn how to share their stories and be vulnerable about their lives and how they found delight, that's a form of service. And man, I find so, I find, I find so much joy in that. Yeah. And that's all I want. That's all I want, mm-hmm. you know? And anyway, I, you know, I, Alicia and I got married a while later. I, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't party. I, I party in other ways. I kitchen dance all the time <laughs> and it's legit. I got some moves. I'll tell you, but, um, I'm happy, you know, and, and I, uh, you are. um, I'm grateful. I, um, I, I'm, this life is beautiful mm-hmm. and it was so dark. It was so, it was so dark. I, know. I hated me. I, he despised me. We, I mean, and that's, I, we, we could tell, I mean, it was it, just, it, it, we, you were uncomfortable yeah. all the time. So you've been through some stuff and and like not only been through it, but like got to a really great place and life is still a struggle and you still go through, you know, whatever, like we all have our aches and pains and our frustrations, but you've gotten to a good place and it, it took some amazing things to get there. And that rock bottom was pretty hard. It was rough. So what is it that that darkness, that rock bottom what was it that, what you say you're grateful? Why are you grateful for it? What did that do for you to get, to get you where you are now? It's my favorite question that we ask people in their interviews. It gave me, it gave me the chance um, to recognize how hard this life is for other people. Um, I was so stuck on myself for so long that, and it, 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 like, like you said, it became so dark for me personally. Mm -hmm. But when I was in that darkest moment, um, I wanted to commit suicide. I wanted to end my life. Mm -hmm. As soon as I felt his love for me again, all I wanted to do with that is help other people feel that same thing. And it, it taught me that everybody has to go through their yeah. stuff. Yeah. That this, this life is a beautiful life. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. Um, we can fall into some really destructive traps easily. Very you know, easy. And, yeah, and no shame question. is probably the, the biggest one, mm-hmm. the easiest one to fall into. 
but it taught me how it taught me how to look at people with love, compassion and empathy. Awesome. And it taught me how to love. I, I just, I automatically love people. Mm-hmm. I, I trust. Um, I want to serve. I want to connect. I desperately want to connect with people yeah. like that I see in, in my walk of life because I know that when you're, when you're in my path that we've been put there for a reason mm-hmm. and I want to connect even if it's for a very, very brief moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, Dan, I, th- I think the answer to that is my darkest hour gave me the ability to see that therein lies the opportunity to help others when they're in their darkest moment. And I can, I can now go to a place to help those who are ready to check out. Yeah. Ready to go because I, you can I, be in that place with them. I can be you empathetic to that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I can love and, and say some things to them that help them understand that you can get, you can get through this. You Hang can on. Get to good. Don't ever give up. Yeah hang on because you're worth it. So I, I kind of want to bring this back to something that we were talking about at the very beginning. You had kind of hoped that, you know, through this story that you would give some inspiration maybe to some parents who have some kids that are struggling and then maybe even some inspiration to kids who are currently struggling. Um, I guess what, what would your message be to those parents and then specifically to those people who are just in it. Yeah. Um, to parents, I would say trust. Mm-hmm. You've, you've got to trust in God. Yeah. He loves everybody on this earth. Everybody. Even the, even the worst person that you, we can think of right on this world. Now Mm -hmm. he loves that person more than we understand Mm -hmm. trust and, and pray, but trust in him because he will never stop working on his children and he will be there to help every step of the way to any, to any person going through it. I, I would, Honestly, I'd say slow down. Just slow down. You don't have to be anything. Yeah. There's nothing that you are expected to be. Yeah. There's nothing that you have to be. It doesn't matter if you've made mistakes. It doesn't matter if you failed. That's the point of this life. Exactly we are supposed right. to fail. It's exactly We're supposed right. to fall. And that's okay. Yeah. So... Get vulnerable. Be willing to talk about your things. Get them outside of you. Because once you get them outside of you, you can replace them with something else. Mm-hmm. And find your team. Yeah. Right? Find your team. Find those around you who love you enough that when they hear what you have to say, they are just going to come running to you. Yeah. Because those are the people you want to surround yourself with in your life. And if you'll do that, you'll be just fine. There's a way out. Absolutely. That's how you get there. Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, that was powerful. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Um, no, you know, I, I, yeah, 
there's one more experience from dad Mm -hmm. that I just want to share real quick. We were at a Utah basketball game. The Utah Utes back in the day used to not be very good. This, this was before they had Andre Miller, right? (laughs) And they had good old coach Rick Majerus. I think they had Byron Russell and Jimmy Soto and Josh Grant and those guys. Walter Watts. They were, they were like up and coming. They were good. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But they, they were getting blown out by Arizona and, um, we were sitting up in the nosebleeds. We had season tickets and I'd go with dad often with you and dad. Hoo hoo hoo. But uh, that's what a guy, a fan used to do that sat next to us. But, <laughs> but I remember this game and, and at about the three minute mark, everybody just kind of started piling out of the stadium. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting up and walking down the steps about two or three steps. And I heard dad <laughs> say, uh-huh. Mike, sit down. Get up here and sit down. (laughs) And I was like, dude, dad, we're getting beat by 30 with three minutes left. And I sat down and he turned to me and he said, we never quit on our team. And I I didn't really realize the power of that until right now. Mm -hmm. Um, With all the talk that we've had about find your team. Yeah. When you find your team, your team never quits on you. And you never quit on your team. Mm Mm-hmm. So find your team. Yeah. And yeah, and they won't quit on you. No. Absolutely. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show. I would love to hear your feedback. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcast or any podcast platform you use. If you or someone you know has a delightful story to share that I need to talk to, please email me at come towards delight at gmail.com.